Ardent Muse, the podcast. Welcome back to The Ardent Muse. If you are new here, my name is Rita. And on this thrilling episode that I decided to do this week, uh, we will embark on a bone-chilling journey into the realm of exorcism and the dark forces that haunt our world today and the daily practices that we may be unconscious to that can call or bring on demonic spirits into our life bring us in dark places and leave us there and taunt us. So hang on tight while we dive deep into the episode of unveiling the shadows and exploring the world of exorcism and demonic attacks. Let's begin by demystifying the term exorcism for all of you listeners and what demonic forces or spirit is. So exorcism is a solemn ritual practiced across various cultures and religious beliefs throughout history. It's an act of driving out malvolent entities commonly known as demons or evil spirits from individuals who are believed to be possessed or have influenced or have been influenced by these supernatural forces. So um, in Christian religion and Catholic religion, the Christians are actually, they speak highly of the Catholics because they know how to deliver um, demons from from a, from being from possessing a, a human and taking over somebody's soul so um, that's one thing that they do get along on is knowing that the Catholics could could do that that's why all Catholic priests will take care of all exorcisms and you have to be specialized you have to be specialized priests in order for to do this not anybody can do this most this is very dangerous and um, in order to be exercised from a demon, you need to repent and know consciously why and what the, and what you did for you to be possessed. If you don't accept that or you're not conscious to it, they cannot deliver any any type of demon from you. Because if you go in there just to get exercise and you don't know what you did wrong, these demons come back 10 times fold. They will come back stronger and will demonize and put you in the darkest place than you were before. So it's important to note that you need to be conscious of what is leading the demon to manifest into you. Now, Demons will pick the weakest souls to be attached to. 
If someone, if there's a group of people and they're playing the Ouija board and this is like something that I did as a kid and it was the biggest mistake of my life. But again, I was an unconscious teenager that didn't, you know, think it was real at the time. But what we experienced, and I'm going to tell in this, in this, uh, in this segment, my story, but what we experienced years after that, we opened doors. We opened a door and we allowed some really heavy demonic stuff. And we were weak. We weren't, you know, practicing uh, our faith. We weren't, we were raised Catholic, but we weren't kids that were going to church every Sunday, uh, praying at night, believing in our faith. If we were, we wouldn't have been attacked the way we were. Because we were weak and because our faith was not there, the demons found a perfect place to go manifest. So I need people to understand this. If you do not believe in your faith and you do not believe in God, you will be the demon's number one prize. Now, um, demonic forces are believed to be malevolent entities that can take control of any individual's daily life, especially the weak ones. And often without their conscious awareness, which is the scary part. Like I mentioned when I was a teen, I had no idea that I had been possessed or, or, you know, the people around me had been possessed, that our home was now infested of these spirits. And these forces can manifest in various ways, such as uh, through negative thoughts. They bring you in a dark place, depression, emotions, your behaviors, and even physical ailments. So demonic possessions can occur when a person becomes vulnerable or opens themselves up to these dark influences, which can happen through practices like occult rituals, involvement with forbidden or dangerous spiritual practices, or even through unintentional invitations like me. Um, When we feel or when we are in our daily life doing things that we know is sinful, that's the demon. That's a demon that has taken over your life because consciously you are doing this, but unconsciously you you don't know that you don't want to do this. And when someone realizes they are under the influence of demonic forces and they seek repentance, they can turn to exorcism then as a means of liberation and healing. Repentance involves acknowledging our mistakes, like I stated earlier, seeking forgiveness, wanting to be found and saved, and making a sincere commitment to changing their life, changing their ways. Exorcism, on the other hand, is a ritualistic practice performed by trained clergy or Uh, religious practitioners who have invoked divine power to confront and expel these possessings, these entities. And during the exorcism process, um, there's specific prayers and rituals that are said and spiritual practices are employed to weaken and ultimately remove the demonic forces from the individual's life. The power of faith 
the power of God and and giving ourselves to God, both from the person undergoing the exorcism and the, the clergy performing it is crucial in the process. The belief in a higher power such as God enables us to find strength and protection and it guides us throughout that exorcism. You have to be faithful and you have to believe that there is God that will protect you. You have to turn your faith from being a non-believer and being possessed to saying, no, I, 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 I surrender. I surrender. Here's the white flag. Please save me. Exorcism is not only a physical act of driving out demonic forces, but it's a spiritual journey that requires individuals to confront their own weaknesses, their fears, their vulnerabilities. And throughout the exorcism ceremony, the person seeks to regain control of their life and they want to retain this control of their life. They want to restore the harmony within themselves and their lifestyle and their surroundings. And this transformation brings profound changes and it frees the individual from the grip of the demonic force, allowing them to then go back to living and a more fulfilling and um, they are spiritual, spiritually aligned with their life. They then have that sense of peace and they can then start to be free and want to do what they wanted to do because before you may have been in a dark a dark place where you had no control you all you wanted to do was lay in bed you wanted to watch porn you wanted to drink alcohol you wanted to do all these sinful acts because you it wasn't you but we do have free will so unless you decide one day and say i really need to get my life together I believe in God. I believe God could help me. I want to be on his path. You will not be rid of these dark forces. And it's important that you know that these exorcisms should be undertaken with great care. Because if you do not do that step to step before trying to be delivered, they're going to come back 10 times stronger. And it's going to be 10 times harder. And that's why a lot of people that are struggling, that do not have faith, sadly, and their lives because they have no control over it. And you have to seek support from these, these communities engaging in spiritual practices and you have to maintain a strong sense of faith. It aids you into protecting yourself from these negative forces and maintaining a healthy spiritual well-being in your life. I'm now going to play a clip from a podcast segment that we did on Subliminal Saints where we spoke about spiritual attacks with demonic attacks. And a friend of mine, Cassie, had recounted an incident that she went through for a few months. Uh, it was terrifying. And she gets into detail about what happened to her. And um, it is very disturbing, so if you are easily uh, scared or triggered, please do not listen. 
Um, there, it is explicit content. So um, just be very mindful if you do have children in the room and you're listening to if you're listening to this, please, um, please do not play this. So here we go. We are in a gigantic galactic battle of angels versus demons. 100%. I agree with that 100%. I hate talking about it openly because the other part of the conspiracy realm is Holly. This is all going to come back together, but some of the things that I've experienced in life sound so fucking Hollywood that no one would believe me, but people often forget as well, or are just completely oblivious to the fact that Hollywood is, was created to distract us, to make us believe these false lies. So as truths come out, we're like, "Mm, no, that's not real. That's you would only see that in the movie. There's no way that's real. Two years ago, um, two Septembers ago, I had a very terrifying demonic experience that had been happening for several months and it got so bad. I believe that there is a spirit trying to get my attention of a really dark situation that I was in and um, didn't have the full capacity and strength to get myself out of it. And, um, this spirit was contacting me through my sleep. And I think also channeling me, I had hosted a cacao ceremony at my house. I think accidentally dark energy channeled this girl and it activated inside of me. And that night I fell to my knees in my guest bedroom. And there's a picture of this where it looked like someone had a noose previously tied to my neck like it was like burning red I couldn't breathe I was like in a very awake state of paralysis and I turn around and I could see her entire body in the mirror it is something I cannot oh my gosh it gives me goosebumps to this day right now two days later I fell to my knees again and the, I had a permanent marker on my hand and I was writing bitch all over my body and <sighs> it like it not um not it was like a oh my gosh how like like someone was writing bitch on me so I was writing it backwards in clear letters as though someone was clearly writing it across my body I wrote it all over my forehead my face I would never do this I swear to god I'm not a psychopath this just happened and we don't know why um there were video cameras in my house. So there's actually live video footage of this. And while it's happening, my head is tilted all the way back. My eyes are in the back of my head and my jaw is wide open. As it's Oh happening. my God. No, stop. stop. It Ooh. was fucking terrifying. Cassie, that's fucking insane. I'm being dead. Serious. Like I'm about to burn some frankincense and myrrh while we're talking about yeah, this. Because, because, yeah, because talking about it brings the energy. It <laughs> freaks me out so much. Like still to this day, I, ugh, but I felt like I was becoming schizophrenic. Like you guys, I can't, I, I'm being dead serious. Like I literally was like, and I would have no control over my body. Nothing when this would happen. Um, I called, I made a call. So did the the person that was involved in this. Long story short, I got in contact with the church and they had me come the next morning at 10 a.m. Other bizarre things happened that night, um, like 
I, we, and there are two other people in my house at the time. They even saw it as well. Um, there were footsteps clearly moving along the carpet. So, you know, when you like move your hand against the gradient of the carpet, it'll get darker. Yeah. It was like someone was shuffling their feet, um, back and forth across the room in front of the mirror where this, um, where I had the experience where there was a noose choking me. Um, that the night before going to the church, I had a dream that she was inside of my body. She, she was in my body looking at me and she was screaming, get out, get out. She said, I didn't do this and you need to get out. And she's screaming it and she's stone cold white and there's blood coming out of her mouth. Fuck. And I, I would, at this point, I was like, I'm fucking crazy. I don't fucking know what's going on. So the next day I go to the church is a Wednesday morning around 10 o'clock in the morning. I get to the church and I'm sitting at a long table. There's a pastor who's probably in his late fifties, his daughter, who's in her late thirties and me, the three of us are sitting at this table and he says, Cassie, um, I like, I know that you're going through some things. How about we try talking this out? Um, tell me a little bit of backstory of on yourself, yada, yada, yada. So we're talking, I'm like, I just tell this person everything. And he just looks mortified and his daughter is in tears and she's holding my arm. She's sitting to the right side of me, holding my arm. And out of nowhere, he goes, let's start with the Lord's prayer. And he said, repeat after me, we'll say the Lord's prayer. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So we start going through the whole prayer. And he says, and I want you to call Jesus Christ into your name. Into, I want you to call Jesus Christ into you. And I looked at him and I said, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I can't say it. And he said, what's wrong? And I said, I think I'm about to throw up and I am grabbing this table and you can hear my nails like go into like the plastic of the table, not go into it, but like, you know, that like that noise that nails do up against like that rugged plastic style Mm -hmm. table. I distinctly remember hearing it. And I look at the woman and I said, I need you to grab a garbage can. I'm about to throw up. And she, um, like five feet behind us, there's this little coffee stand. She grabs the garbage can and puts it in between my legs. And she just looks at me and my whole spine starts curling like a snake. It's like a snake-like movement that I slowly start doing. And I'm like grabbing the table with all of my, all of my, um, my strength. And I look up and I said, I can't breathe. And it literally felt like there were a thousand hands on my neck choking me. I could feel my eyes protruding forward. I could feel every fucking vein in my neck, like physically looking like something was wrapped around my neck. And she just, they both looked like they were going to shit their pants. I was like truly freaking out at this point. And I looked down and there's um, not foam, but like, a uh, thick drool coming out of my mouth at this point. And I look down again and there's like a, a faint pink color in it. And I'm starting to bleed out of my mouth, not like spitting blood or anything, but there's blood coming out with it from me, like trying to grab gasp for air. Oh my God. And, um, 
God, I'm sure you can like hear my anxiety in my voice. She looks at me and she grabs this bottle of oil. I'm assuming was holy oil. I do not fucking know. And next thing I know, she's wiping oil across my forehead. And simultaneously as that happens, I, I pass out of my chair and onto the floor. I don't remember anything for the next seven hours until I'm woken up in the middle of the congregation of this church. Um, I typically wear vans. One of my shoes, one of my vans was about maybe three or four feet away from my foot when I woke up. My hair was matted to the right side of my face. I had throw up drool and blood all over my right shoulder. I had claw marks all up and down my arms. And I had also pissed my pants. Um, I was so freaked out when I woke up. They also looked freaked out. Another person was called in while this was happening. So there are now four of us standing in the church and they, they're just looking at me. I'm looking at them fucking completely freaked out. Like these people had just drugged me and they said, we need you to say Jesus Christ. And I said it and I just burst into tears Pastor Mike said that during my six to seven hour episode on the floor, I came about three inches off of the ground and was coming up and down, like falling up and like my body was flailing up and down. Um, he said that I came a clear three inches off of the ground that I was making um, animal noises out of my throat, like guttural animal noises. I remember none of this. The whole time this was happening, I literally was having a seven hour talk with the devil and he was telling me to give my soul to him. And it was the most charismatic voice I had ever heard in my life. It was fucking terrifying. So that is why I say I strongly believe that there is a true genuine battle of light and dark. And as much as God is real, unfortunately, so is the devil. And there are demonic energy surrounding us at all times. And it is so highly important that people protect themselves, not only through their food, but by the words that they say, by the music that they listen to. I think that there is demonic portals hidden in so much shit. Yeah. Yeah, Cassie, I just want to tell you thank you for for sharing that with us. That is, you know, like I I wholeheartedly believe in in that side of um, you know, reality and once you experience, you know, certain things it, it makes it all more um easy to believe and so I just want to say thank you for sharing. I mean, that's that's insane. I sit here with goosebumps and you know, there's there's been times where I've experienced dark energy and things being ripped off the ceilings around me, but like to the point where you are possessed and, you know, doing all that. I mean, that's another level. I'm just fucking glad you're still still here with us after going through all that. There's way more detail to the story that you would just absolutely shit yourself. If you guys ever get the opportunity to come here Kingston where I live, I would be more than happy to bring you guys to the church that this happened and talk with the pastor. Like 
it changed all of our lives. I wound up actually, we all, all three of us, the following Sunday gave my, gave our testimony to the congregation of what happened and everyone was in tears. And I still had like those claw marks down my arms. This was before my sleeve was finished. And like, it literally looked like I had like a girl interrupted moment and like truly tried to like claw myself out of my skin is wild. So when I recounted that story, it's all making sense now after all the experiences I had after we recorded this episode. So I would say maybe a few weeks after recording that episode and us deciding not to put it out is when the activity got really heavy for, I think, all of us. And for me personally, I started to really go into dark phases And I always felt very anxious and bothered and taunted. One evening, it was 1 a.m. I could not sleep. I had, I felt like I had drank seven cups of coffee. I had so much energy. I started to get really bad anxiety to the point where I couldn't breathe. And I started to panic a little bit because I didn't know what was happening. And... I start convulsing, I have these convulsions and I'm starting to go out of consciousness and I'm puking all over the house. I'm puking repeatedly over the house. I have no control. I can't breathe. They call an ambulance. Ambulance comes. Paramedics are trying to talk to me. I can't talk to them. I'm in and out of consciousness. I can't figure out how many people are in the room? I, I, it's, it was just the most scariest experience I've ever encountered in my entire life. And I get to, well, I get into the ambulance. They put me in the ambulance. I couldn't walk down the stairs. They had to like put me in a body bag and bring me downstairs. I felt like the paramedics were taunting me and I felt like they were making fun of me. And I just, it was just a terrible experience. I get to the hospital. I wake up in a hospital bed and for a second, I thought it was, I was brought to maybe a mental institute because the way they were treating me, um, they, were, they were speaking to me oddly. They were making fun of the vomit in my hair. It was just like, where am I? Am I in a hospital or am I in a mental institute? Anyway, I come to find out I was in the hospital and they found absolutely nothing wrong with me. There was all my levels were, were fine except for my my heart rate was really low. It was at like 23. And, oh, that's weird. Okay. So it was, it was bad. It was really bad. And after that, I completely knew that I had some type of dark force inside me that was, was taunting me. So I decided to go to the Catholic church and see the priest that um, my family's friends with. And he said, you got really bad stuff going on and you have things at home that you need to get rid of. And while we were recording this back then, I was not conscious that I was messing around with occult stuff that is going to bring these dark spirits around. So I got rid of all the crystals 
I got rid of everything that I believed was linked to something that was tormenting me. He blessed me. I attended a healing ceremony a few times since since the first and then he blessed my house and I then started to stay away from that stuff and I focused one day I it all clicked. I said the blue light and the rainbows was Christ trying to call me home. And it gives me the chills now because I don't know if you are all familiar with Archangel Michael. He is a representation of, you know, he protects us from this. And he was trying to protect me. I found a statue of him in my garage that I've never seen before in my life while I was cleaning my garage a few weeks after that incident. And it's all clicking now that we were seeing the number 23 because we were being guided home to him to follow his word, to follow his path. And for those of you who don't know Psalm 23, it is the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. This is what we were seeing. And it shakes me every single day that it took a year for us to connect it. And to put it together. And I wanted to release this episode because it needs to be known how dark we can get and not know that we're being tormented by these evil spirits that want our souls. And we will do anything like astral travel and mess around with occult stuff. Because we don't think anything of it. The Ouija board, tarot cards, all this stuff, not knowing that you're messing around when you're poking at the darkness and you're asking for it. So now that we're conscious to it, we're releasing this because it needs to be known for all of you that may be going through dark times. And I already have told a lot of my friends that have been going through dark times. Some of them did not want to hear it because they don't believe in, you know, they don't have the faith. They don't believe in this stuff. And some have been tortured so much that they just needed to hear it. And they have been guided to go to church, to go and and pray and turn to him And since that, and since that moment that they decided to go home, they have been saved. And this is the actual fruit of this episode was that you can be saved. You can repent and you will be saved because he wants you only if you want him.
I will recognize you if you recognize me. One of the most well-known and controversial cases of alleged possession and exorcism was the story of Annalise Michael, which they then went on and made a movie about it called The Case of Emily Rose, which became very popular uh, probably like maybe, I want to say 10 years ago. Um, So a lot of you might know this story because you have seen the movie. Annalise was born in Germany in 1952 and grew up in a very devotedly religious Catholic family. And she began experiencing strange symptoms at a very early age. Uh, She must have been like 14, 15, 16, around that age. And according to reports, um, she exhibited symptoms that were believed to be signs of possession only after they, they did all these brain scans for numerous years. The mother from day one already thought it was that she was possessed. But because she had to undergo all these uh, brand scans because she was having symptoms that looked like uh, aneurysms or or she was having um, like seizures. So they had to rule that out. And the doctor that um, was taking care of the case back then, uh, his name was Dr. Luthi, after he had done all his... um, his tests and found out that they, there was nothing they could do to help her. They, he gave the family option to go towards the religious route. And he then denied, he denied ever say, stating that. But anyway, um, the family then turned to uh, the priests to help. She would speak in different voices, uh, different languages and different dialects sometimes even claiming to be Lucifer himself, which was, I looked, I watched the videos. I was going to play a a clip here. It's in another language. Um, We won't understand it anyway, but it's very disturbing. And I could probably play maybe 30 seconds of the clip just to give you a idea of what this child went through. I mean, she also manifested physical contortions and appeared to have like these superhuman strengths at times she would literally pick people up and throw them across the room she would be hovering over her bed she would um go crawl down the stairs like backwards just like in the movie the exorcist like there's real footage of this child just being tormented what could have possessed a demon to take over this child that was devotedly religious. Something happened and the case had gone into, you know, court after she had passed because they, they, you know, they, they questioned the parents for malnutrition and, and malnourishment and, uh, the, the fathers, the father priests got involved and it was a huge court case. But um, her family was very concerned and convinced that she was very possessed by demons. And they, they really had to have professional priests help them. They had like maybe seven priests in their room at once 
I believe I saw in a video. There was like seven priests over this child. And um, again, like the, the medical treatments did not seem to like do anything to her to improve her condition. They gave her so much different type of medicine. Um, none of it worked. None of it was was helping her. So she had to undergo an exorcism that could save her. In 1975, when the church approved it, the two priests performed a series of exorcisms on on, um, Annalise over a span of 10 months. And during this time, she was closely monitored every single day by her family, like, and the priests were there all day long because she could not be left alone. She would pick up things and try to stab herself. It was terrifying for this child, I can only imagine. And then she became emaciated and weakened. She wasn't able to eat anymore. She wasn't able to move anymore. She she had become skin and bones. You can even Google it, look it up. She was absolutely skin and bones. And tragically, on July 1st of 1976, um, Emily died at the age of 23 due to malnutrition and dehydration. So her death really, it sparked a legal controversy with her parents and the priests who performed the exorcisms. They were all charged with negligent homicide. And the trial that uh, followed um, in the media, it had the attention throughout the whole world. And it, it grew a heated debate in religion, faith, and mental illness. Um, so the proceedings of the court explored uh, that Annalise was possessed and her symptoms could not be explained in mental illness. And medical experts um, testified that she suffered from epilepsy and psychosis, suggesting that her symptoms were a result of these conditions. But um, in the defense, they argued that their, um, her, her condition went beyond the medical explanations that these uh, doctors had appointed to. And uh whatever she had gone through was supernatural. Um, So the court found the parents and the priests guilty of uh, negligent homicide, but their sentences were later reduced to probation. Um, It was a huge controversial topic. And I can only imagine how heartbreaking it was for a family to see a child go through that for years, for years. Um, But the story it serves us as a reminder of how we can be like attacked. You could be the most, you know, faithful and religious person and you just find yourself weakened momentarily or whatever happened to that child, it took hold of her and it did not let her go. It took her to her grave. I'm going to play a clip of her, one of her exorcisms. So please, if you have children in the room, this is very disturbing. If you want to skip ahead 15 seconds or 30 seconds, I would suggest you do so. Ah, 
I, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't play the whole thing. It's just, it just gives me the chills. I mean, she underwent over 60 exorcism sessions performed by only two priests. But there were other people in the room, like her parents and other uh, people from the, from the church, um, to help because she would, she would throw things. She would grab things and hurt herself. She would, she would slam her body against like the walls. The she would levitate. Like there was no explanation psychologically for the torment that this child endured during those exorcisms, and. It's a huge controversy because there is the mental part of it and then there's the religious part of it. So it's a combination of a medical intervention and religious intervention. So depending on your belief system, you know, the subjective observations of all of this is what we can say what it was that this child went through. In the early morning hours of November 13, 1974, Ronald DeFeo Jr. murdered his father, his mother, his sister, and his two brothers. After seeking help at a nearby bar hours following the killings, he claimed his family was dead at the hands of the mafia. And eventually uh, the story goes on and he confesses. He was responsible for the slayings. And he stated, once I started, I could not stop. This is the story of 23-year-old Ronald DeFeo Jr and the story of the Amityville Horror. For decades, the Amityville Horror was captivated by many audiences uh, due to the movie that they had come out with um, about the family that had fled the house a little under a month of them moving in and it's inspired by a true story of a house a real house on Long Island and it's eerie tale in the early morning hours of November 13th 1974 Ronald DeFeo Jr. killed his entire family in cold blood and he claimed that the voices in his head told him to do it on the outside, to the people, the DeFeos appeared to live happy lives on Long Island during the 1970s. And all the people around them, the neighbors, would say they were a nice, normal family. The family was father, uh, Ronald, mother, Louise, and their five children, Ronald, Dawn, Allison, Mark, and John Matthew. They lived uh, in an influential part of Long Island called Amityville. And the Dutch colonial home had a swimming pool and nearby boat, just like in the movie, because that was the actual house that they moved, that they used in the film. And in the house, there were life-size portraits of this family hung all over the walls. 
One local girl told the Times、uh, newspaper that Ronald DeFeo, the father, had frequently given her rides to her family's restaurant in Brooklyn. Another neighbor、uh, named Catherine said that DeFeo's had befriended her after her husband passed away and they, and they seemed like they were a loving family because they would help her all the time. But the DeFeo's were a very different family behind closed doors. Ronald managed an auto dealership, a job that certainly could not support his entire family.、Um, but he made good money.、Um, he purchased the home and he then gave his brother in law、um, some money to make these family portraits of them.、Uh, then he was reportedly. By the family, reported to be a big, violent man. Most often, he took his anger and his frustration out on his son, who usually went by Butch. And as Butch grew up, he struggled to find any common ground with his father. Butch was bullied at school for being overweight.、Uh, kids would call him pork chop or the blob.、Um, In his teenage years, he had lost most of the weight and、um, he then became reliant、uh, to alcohol. And he would get into fights continuously with his father.、Um, he once pulled a gun on his father and said that he was going to kill him. And. He would cause huge issues at work where he worked with his father. It was a dealership. He rarely showed up to work and he would leave early all the time. He spent most of his time doing drugs and drinking and getting into fights and arguing with his parents. And there was no resolution between him and his father ever. Obviously, Ronald was, Ronald Jr. was possessed. He was depressed. He was in a dark place. And the family, not being very,、um, they were Catholic, but they weren't、um, practi- practi- practicing Catholic、um, religion. The children、uh, were kind of distanced、uh, from church. So Ronald fell into this、uh, terrible depression and he claimed to have been starting to hear. Voices in his head to tell him to kill his family. So,、um, on, the, on the early hours of November 13th, in the middle of the night, he grabbed his father's rifle,、um, a .35 caliber Marlin rifle, and went and shot his father dead and then his mother. Then he went and killed his sister. His other sister,、uh, his two sisters were 18 and 13, his 12 year old brother, a nine year old brother, and he shot them all while they were in their bed. After killing his family, he went on to a local bar and said that his family was murdered by the mafia. And he then ridded of the, of the gun. So he was. Now, listening to the voices in his head, and he confessed this when he was、um, incarcer- incarcerated. 
and each each family member was brutally murdered with face down shot in the back of the head it's terrible i'm looking at these pictures right now um what could have saved this family what could have saved ronald from taking the path that he had taken they were far from god the mother i think was more of the of the practicing catholic in the home uh again the father was an abusive dad so uh, he had his own demons but later um he was um ronald was sentenced to 25 years life in prison but that's not the end of the story because the Amityville murder haunted uh, the movie that we watched um, was during was of the family called the Lutz family, and they moved into the house but fled 28 days later um, after they experienced escalated paranormal activity as the reason for their departure. According to their accounts, the Lutz family uh, experienced a series of terrifying incidents during their time, and they claimed that they had witnessed demonic entities, they heard mysterious sounds, they smelled foul odors, and witnessed objects moving on their own. They also reported experiencing physical and psychological torments, especially the father. The story gains um, widespread media attention, leading to publishing the Amityville horror book because of the murders that had previously happened in this home. I would, I, I don't know who would, who in their right mind would move into a house where there were five people murdered by someone that said that they heard demonic voices in their head. I, I, I would never. I would never, but I guess this was a family that didn't believe in that type of stuff. So they took the chance and then there you go, you're FOFO. So fuck around and find out. Excuse my language. Um, so there had been skeptics and critics who have raised doubts about the authenticity of the claims that were made. And some believe that the experiences could be explained by psychological or environmental factors rather than um, supernatural causes. Of course. So the owners, um, after that, had not reported any similar uh, paranormal occurrences. But then there was another family that moved in after them that did. So this is really, it's really strange. We don't know who's making up stories and who's not. Um, it's worth noting that while the Amityville horror case is um, widely known, it's left an impact on pop popular culture um, opinions on exorcisms and demonic attacks. And this is where people started to become more aware of these these encounters. I mean, it was always going on and it was always hush-hush, but it started becoming uh, more media-wise. And it remains a topic for quite a while. In the depths of despair where shadows linger and darkness reigns, 
there lies a prayer that pierces through the blackened veil. It is the prayer of our Father as it's whispered in the silence of the night, as souls seek solace amidst the chaos of the world. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sins against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. From the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. And in the depths of despair where the shadows linger and the darkness reigns, this prayer of our Father reverberates echoing through the hollow chambers of broken hearts. It is a prayer that holds the promise of redemption, of strength in weakness, of light in the darkest hour. And as we whisper these words, as they fade into the ether, they leave behind a glimmer of hope, a hope that in the face of adversity, we are not alone. For our Father is with us guiding, protecting and leading us on the path towards eternal illumination. And that concludes this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And again, if you or you know someone that may be experiencing these occurrences and you already went down the medical route, check in with a church, speak to someone, see if you can get some help. This is super serious. Hopefully I was able to bring some knowledge to some of you that maybe did not know how serious and how, um, how this all could happen to anybody. And it's terrifying and you all need to just pray day and night, turn to Christ and he will always protect you. If you have any questions about any of this, you can DM me at Instagram, ardentmuse underscore podcast and you can follow us at subliminal saints underscore Um, we're also here on spotify we usually will update our future episodes and some i have some writing of mine on my page that uh, you might like so thank you so much for your support and i look forward to hearing from you take care